this special episode of IT Visionaries, some of the leading CIOs in the world of tech join Ian for a roundtable discussion. At the table was Alvina Antar of Zora, Paul Chapman of Box, and Mark Settle of Okta. Each has extensive experience in the world of tech, which leads to a lively and wide-ranging discussion of everything from dealing with vendors to dealing with the Silicon Valley echo chamber and how to deal with the politics of being a CIO. The conversation is loose, fun, and there are even a few games and surprises sprinkled in. Enjoy the episode. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps. Welcome to IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer at The Mission. And I am joined by a wild group of CIOs, Mark Alvina and Paul. What's going on, everyone? Hold on. Good to be here today. We're doing our our second CIO roundtable. Second? When was the first? <laughs> well, somebody missed it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and so, and you were there time. in spirit, though, I, was, I feel like. I was. So yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of different stuff today. Uh, it's going to be a meandering conversation at times, but stick with us. We have a lot of we have a lot of vendor conversation coming, which I feel like is fun for a lot of people who want to sell to these people, but for the IT professionals that are listening, for the CIOs, we're going to talk a lot about how to get closer to revenue, how that drives impact, which ultimately helps your career and all things. Why feedback is a gift and uh how to build those relationships with uh, your CIO peers. So, let's get into it. First question, I'm going to go to Alvina first. Yes. Ladies first. Yeah, ladies first. That's right. What is your what's your favorite vendor story? Like do you have a favorite kind of way that you were approached or conversation or that was struck up that was the best thing that you have you have seen to date? Well, I guess I guess I could recall the discussion with the CEO at Zoom. I remember I I had just a year a year prior had purchased Blue Jeans to run our first video conferencing solution uh, and our first video conferencing deployment at Zora and met Eric and listened to his vision and how he had spent years building the product and not even thinking about selling until the product was perfected and until the product was positioned to be able to to deploy enterprise-wide and and learning how they differentiated themselves directly from the CEO was really powerful and you know we we've had huge success globally using video conferencing across what 1300 employees it was difficult to to switch but it was worth it and and just the the outreach directly from Eric and then the relationship that I've had with the CIO there Harry Mosley and and their whole team has been nothing but professional and and extremely supportive. You know at the other end of the spectrum I've I'm not in my current position but in past positions I had a storage vendor and uh, you know you spend a lot of money on storage typically especially in a large enterprise and it's a recurring cost over time and the one thing I I had a great relationship with this vendor. In fact, I had a great relationship with this vendor on three different jobs with three different companies. And one of the things that I always really valued about their approach to 
selling to me was they had a very strategic, you know, multi-quarter, multi-year kind of perspective. So they would look at my storage needs. They had multiple product lines. They were trying to optimize the mix of their capabilities to my particular needs. And and they just they would never come in at the end of the quarter with like the deal of the century. Like if you'll buy this in the next week, I can come up with it, some intergalactic pricing for you that will, you know, this will be the best deal you've ever had in your entire. They, that was just not their approach whatsoever. They really wanted to be very strategic, and I always felt like they were really helping me be strategic in the way I thought about storage. Isn't that an interesting thing? Like I, we always talk about uh, different podcasts, but I think I think it's super relevant here about you know buying or selling when people want to buy, right? I, it's crazy to me that so many people push their agenda onto the person buying. It's like, I have enough freaking problems on my own side. I don't need your problems uh, coming into my life too. It's like a good relationship, right? It's like, I have my own baggage. Like, I know you're going to bring yours too, but if if off if off Jump Street, you're going to say, we, uh, you know, you have to buy this by this day and you're going to get a great discount, it's like probably not the best idea. I, I don't want to preempt Paul. I had, a, I had a sales rep once who told me about the college expenses for his kids that he was trying to, to solve to and why selling me in that quarter was very important to his kids' education. I mean, that sounds kind of comic and trite, like nobody would ever do that, but people actually do that. That's are you, that is wild. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is. Too personal. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting when, when you say vendor, because I always think when you say vendor, it just feels wrong. It, it feels like a very sort of transactional sort of type of experience and you know it's sort of like friendships you know you don't have a lot of time for a lot of friends but the time you have for the friends you have you have a lot of time for them and i think when you're partnering and building relationship back to mark's point it's there's something that's mutually beneficial in the relationship and i found that without sort of naming specific sort of vendors or partners or over the over the years i think the ones that stand out are the ones that have really turned into mutually beneficial, like your experience with Eric, right? You know, mm-hmm. you're appreciative, you're learning. There's something that he's bringing into to the to the conversation, and so for me, you know, you want to be associated with companies that are forward thinking and innovative, and in bringing something that's that's benefit mutually beneficial to the to the you know. At the end of the day, there's some transaction in there as well. But yeah, those are the things that I've I found over the years to be the 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 the, the most beneficial. Is it weird to? be a CIO that also is selling to CIOs. I mean, I think all three of you are in the same boat here, but is it something where you're kind of all in it together so you can be a little bit more transparent with each other or is it something that is feels adversarial or I mean, is it what it was that kind of like? I, I mean, it could be adversarial if you're CIOs of competing companies potentially. If you are, are working for companies that compete with each other, then that's potentially potentially the case. But you're not a sales guy. So, no. So and, even then. And so, but I think the the, the real value in, in this regard comes from the fact that, you know, there's, there's perspective that you have around the position that the other person is in. And we know the complexities of the role. We know the challenges of the role. We're often dealing with the same type challenges and complexities as one another. You know, we we're we're at different cycles of of where we are with our in our companies, whether we're we're growing or or under cost pressures or or headwinds, whatever it might be. And I think the professional chemistry, CIO to CIO, is very important because you can relate. A salesperson can't necessarily relate in the fact that they haven't actually sat in your totally um, in 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 your in your seat. It's also that transparency, right? It's really being able to 
have a real conversation around what's working, what's not, and, and being open and transparent. I mean, you're ultimately not trying to sell. If you are, you're in the wrong position, right? You're ultimately an expert in the product as a CIO in the product that, that you sell. And your peers look to you to provide guidance and best practices and be able to ensure that what they do, when, when, when they do commit or if they are already committed, that they're able to use the technology in, in the best way and leverage the relationship to be able to ensure that the investment is real and that it's, it's fulfilled. So what does that conversation feel like when you're talking to a CIO, a fellow CIO, or, or maybe you haven't talked to them about it at all and you say, you know what, we got to switch, like product isn't good, good enough. Like, is that conversation something where the best ones take it back to their product team and say, hey, this is, this is actionable feedback? I think that happens, you know, I mean, it's a... I think we all know where the boundaries are in these conversations <clears throat> because again, just I think uh, Alvina said, we're not salespeople at the end of the day. We're not trying to close a deal. That's not our job. And we can be pretty honest with each other. There's there's a brotherhood or sisterhood of CIOs and you're probably going to get more direct feedback and more um, unvarnished feedback about wh why the decision was ultimately made. Sometimes it's a cost decision, you know, and it has no absolutely nothing to do with the features, functions, or capabilities of the product. And Lord knows as CIOs, we've all been under cost pressures. And so we understand that, you know, we understand why people have to trade off cost against um, maybe a best of breed solution or whatever. So, so I think, yeah, bringing that kind of feedback back into the organization is very important. And I forget who came up with this phrase that's been around for a long time, the idea of the voice of the customer. We're all fairly small companies growing at rapid rates. And the larger you get, you know, the more the voice of the customer kind of gets lost into the political agendas and personal aspirations of all the major players in a large company. And we've also been in large companies, you know, we know what that's like. And so whether you like it or not, it has nothing to do with intent, but large companies have inherent bureaucracies that slow down decision-making and, and actually are almost designed to like push out the voice of the customer because they they presume they know what the customer needs and they will do what the customer needs and what and so particularly in our kind of situation where you know we're working with companies that sell products to other cios you know there's almost an obligation on us to go the extra mile or force people to listen to some uncomfortable feedback that they're not going to get through other channels and be truth tellers you know at the end of the day about why things are, are not gaining traction in the marketplace you know, I'm a big believer in wisdom of the wisdom of the community and wisdom of the CIO community is 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 a great one. Anytime we can get together and hang out and collaborate and share with one another, we learn stuff, right? Just in our just in the nature of our conversations. And that feedback that we're then able to bring back to our organizations is really valuable. And as a CIO, you're always looking to see how you can bring value to your organization. Uh, you know, especially as as you know, you talk about about the voice of the customer. The reality is as SaaS companies that is even paramount, right? I mean, it, it is one thing to sell sell once and 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 ship a product. But ultimately we're 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 selling SaaS solutions that are recurring solutions that if if your customer isn't happy, they're not going to stay. They're not going to stick around. They're not going to continue to renew. And so that voice is critical for the business. It not only creates noise in the market um, when a customer churns, but it also impacts you know new new business right and so that voice of the customer the perspective is what drives what should drive product strategy 
And yes, you know, larger companies tend to push push the voice because it creates distraction, right? They've got a product strategy that's a year, a year or plus long, and that 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 strategy doesn't want to get distracted. And you know, ultimately, I, I look to us as CIOs to provide that perspective and ensure that the strategy aligns to the biggest pain points or the biggest areas of opportunity that the CIO community is looking for from our products. You know, if if there are other folks that are going to listen to this uh, that also come from our community of, um, of vendors, you know, one of the things that we don't get asked to do a whole lot is to call people who have selected another product at the end of the process. So mm-hmm. you'll we'll get many calls from members of our sales team that are down into the final stages of trying to close a deal and they would like us to reach out and you know, contact our peers at the um, at the prospective customer. You're talking about people that are within your or like yeah, the sales. Yeah, your like your sales team. We've yeah. got a deal coming up, and you know, can you like, reach out and talk to this individual or whatever? And this is a hard thing to do, but I again, for folks that are listening, I would I would counsel them to like consider this. You've lost the deal, okay? You've lost the deal. Call the other CIO, thank them for the consideration that they gave to your product, if it was an earnest consideration and just let them know that you're there if it doesn't turn out. And especially with large enterprises, you know, and I'm interested in both Alvinas and Paul's perspective on this. You know, what's funny is enterprise sales are long-term relationship building <laughs> and sustenance kind of exercises. You know, this isn't like a business where you've got a huge list of 3,000 prospects that you're going to go through in the quarter and try to sign up like 20% of them or something. Yeah. And the sales cycle you go up through the Fortune 500 ranks, by the time you get to a Fortune 100 company, a sales cycle could be 18 months. Easily 18 months, right? And, you know, maybe they choose the wrong product, which is not my product. I mean, they choose, they choose some competitor product. It's important to let them know that you're there for them if they run into problems. And, you know, it, it's not, there's like, there's sour grapes on our end or, or we never really, want to talk to you again, you know. Or to really understand why. And to understand right? why. To and really to understand, to bring that feedback, to understand why. But there's um, a very professional way to say thank you for the consideration. We're here for you if we can help sometime in the future. And, you know, let's let's be friends even though. Yeah, you know. I, I think it's multidimensional. I think there's, there's pre, right? There's, you know, we're opening up discussions. Is there anything I can do to help, right? As CIO to CIO, I think that's that's valuable, right? We talked earlier about the the wisdom of the community and, and the valued feedback. There's post sale, right? Is there anything I can do to help you once that sale happens, right? Or the the, the we're moving forward for implementation or what have you? We've all leaned on each other in the past to, for for that type of thing. And then there's potential the churn. Someone is not getting the value that they expected from your service. And so they're looking to move away. And 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 then there's maybe the back to Mark's point, did not did not get the, you know, the the the, the deal win. you expected, yeah. the win. And why? And so I think multidimensional the way the CIO can add value to those conversations. But I think I think one piece as I listen to this is, you know, it's that fine balance, right? Yes, you want to be engaged at all dimensions, but there's this balance, right? You don't want to appear that you're just another salesperson and that you're literally not focusing on your business, which is the internal technology organization that you're running to run your business. It's ensuring that you've got balance and, and ensuring that even when you do reach out, it's with an authentic, genuine you know, message, right? And, and then it's not that that the goal is to drive yet a different message than what sales is saying from a CIO title, right? But that it's genuine, peer-to-peer. And, I mean, 
I think sometimes, especially here in the Valley, we get a little bit of echo chambery at times. Echo chambery. <laughs> yeah, that's you close enough. You can do better than that. Come on. Yeah. Close. <laughs> here in the Valley, we have a bit of an echo chamber. And I think that that works in a really good way because we're open to trying new things and to innovation and to hearing each other out and we're collaborative and all this stuff. But the other side of that is there's a group of people who, you know, are being sold to or selling into who like just don't feel that way. How do you look at those type of relationships and building those? Because like the skeptic, the prospect who's like, these, you know, I mean, we have we have listeners all over the world. I think it's 140 countries listen to IT Visionaries. No big deal. Thanks to everyone out there. We love you. Congratulations. And, well, thanks to all of you. It's great CIOs. Alvina, how do you talk to those folks? How do you talk to the folks who are sitting there and they're like, man, I would love to get just an ounce of that type of engagement. I would love to get a meeting with my CIO once a week or my a meeting with my CEO once a week. I would love to get, you know, just a fraction of the type of like top level buy-in that you have. I don't have that. So how do I how do I make a difference? How do I make a change in my organization when I have, you know, a fifth of the budget and a lot less of the airtime? Make it happen. You know, this is this is not 1990. It's a new new age, and ultimately, you know, everyone's talking about digital transformation and business transformation. Who drives that? The internal technology organization drives the business to transform. And so, stop making excuses and get in front of the leadership and ensure that they understand. And actually, don't just get in front and make noise. Have a plan. Have a vision. Have a strategy on what is needed to drive the business forward and what you can do as a technology leader to support that strategy. And how do they get closer to revenue? Like, How can you make that case by saying, I understand the business and I, you know, I'm going to make the business case for why I need to do more? You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I think that uh, what Ovino says is, is absolutely right. I mean, you've got to, you know, there's a, <laughs> book on being, uh, you know, sort of fearless in that regard. But at the same time, I also believe that careers are long, careers are short, depending on how you sort of define that. And you, you want to be doing meaningful work for a meaningful company. And at the end of the day, if you find that you're in a company that is no longer meaningful or the work you're doing is no longer meaningful and there's no path to, to changing that, then go somewhere else. You know, don't run away from something. You always want to be running towards something. But, you know, well, that is what you're saying. It's what I'm saying. Change. No, not run away. It's like you want to, because where you go could be worse. You want to be running towards something, right. something that, you know, it's hopefully is going to drive you toward meaningful work for a meaningful company. And, and, and I think it sort of comes back to what we said earlier as well. Part of the, the, the value we get in our, our, or certainly I get and be interested to hear from Mark and Ovin on this as well is that, Someone told me many years ago that, you know, in order to build your career, you want to get more externally connected with the, you know, with the with the professional community because you can learn so much 
from that community. And just the interactions that I have with prospective customers, with customers, with my fellow CIO, friends, family, whatever, just the value of the the information and, and feedback that you get is just, we all have hints, tips, and tricks, right? And we all value one another's opinion. I, I think that, you know, you're absolutely right. But at the same time, if you're not doing meaningful work for a meaningful company, maybe you should go somewhere else. I mean, I was, I was, talking, to, I was talking to a CIO, not on the podcast, that their company was over 100 years old. And they basically said that. They're like, what you all have in the Valley, I've never, I don't, and it's a multinational company. They're like, I don't have this. So, you know, so I, can see, I imagine there are people listening to this who say to themselves when we have the voice of the customer, wait a minute, you want me to wander around the power structure in my company and complain about things that we do that people don't like, and I can't even like, get like a 3% increase in my budget or they yeah. won't even let me, you know. So why would I, I'm struggling so much now to have a seat at the table, to have a voice, to justify the things that I can see that are right in front of my nose that I need to do. So for those people, I would say, the voice of the customer isn't just some other responsibility. It's a source of power. Like you look at the head it of is. revenue, you look at the head of revenue. If the head of revenue comes back from a sales trip to the East Coast and wants to have 10 minutes with the CEO or 15 <laughs> minutes with the CEO, the guy juggles the schedule to like, get him in here. I want to find out what, what he found on that trip. So, I mean, if you come back in and say, gee, I just, you know, I visited three of our top 20 customers about, you know, how the UPS service was doing, about where UPS and like what they like and don't like about our systems and how the information and insight they have and how we're helping them automate things, et cetera, et cetera. Oh my God, suddenly like, let's have that conversation. If you say, I want to get on your calendar to talk about how if we had a new application, I think I could shave maybe 10, 10 minutes off the quarterly close or, you know, we might be able to like improve our order management transaction efficiency by 5%. You know, you know it's, they're not going to clear their calendars for that conversation at all. So, so my point being here in a long-winded way, you know, folks that are struggling for the seat at the table, you ask the question, Ian, think about ways that you have a more direct line to the customers and you can bring their perspective back into the organization because there's a huge thirst for that and it may be a latent thirst. They may not even know that they want to hear the story until they get told the story. Yeah. So, the, I have the... Uh... I should probably set the stage here. So we're sitting in the studio in Palo Alto. Yes. And you're hearing you're hearing sliding. Uh, the, the, almost like uh, like children are are putting index cards children. all over okay, the that's, table. That's I'm seeing what it pejorative. sounds like. I'm that's seeing pejorative. what it sounds like. I'm just saying it sounds as if that that was happening. But so Mark made index cards that say, we'll take a photo. We'll post this in the show notes um, and we'll tweet it out. So it says... BS on one card. And so you're allowed to put the BS card up if you think one of the other, one of the guests- I already are, used that. Uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> that's what we all laughed. So there's a BS card. There's a, what's WJAM again? Wait just a minute. Oh, wait just a minute. So is that like you want to interject? Something like that. It's like that. an interjection. And then there's a IMHO, in my humble opinion, which I, I feel like, Mark, you have a lot of humble opinions. <laughs> uh, no, Paul would say, I've never had a humble uh, opinion. No, right. I, I agree. Just no, just take out the, it's just IMO. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> humble, I don't know. Oh, yeah, right. But I wanted to add something yeah, about fire. voice of the customer because this is so interesting. Yep. The reality is, you know, you can reiterate what your customer tells you all day long. But if you're not an expert in your product, I mean, it's just not going to hold credibility at in any any shape or form. And so you have to build not just yourself, but your organization needs to invest and build expertise in your own product. 
and then reach out and get input from from the customers. If you can, I mean, there's if some. Com- it's, it's that's not a universally right. possible thing. It isn't. The insight. One of the one of the great guests that we had on Juan Perez, the CIO of UPS, who's coming on in the next few episodes as well. So he was saying basically he did this deep dive into UPS and what they were doing, and he found out that if they save one mile per driver per day, that it saves UPS $50 million a year. And so he was just like, this is what I, if I figure out a solution to one mile a day, it's like, I can go to leadership and like save, you know, again, $500 million over the next decade. And so he, he did all this analysis and he, and he instituted this stuff and they have some algorithms that are looking stuff. And then he took that solution to leadership and like, Hey, here's $50 million a year more that you can have back. And it's like, that's the way you do it, right? Like that's the way that you show that you're next to the revenue. But he had to build expertise in the way that that the entire end-to-end flow and and process was was being executed and finding opportunities to optimize to be able to come to that. And and then the solution was hey, we need to build what they call Orion, which is the on-road integrated optimization navigation system. Short, Optimize. Sh- short name, right? It's classic IT name. Is there an acronym? Um, Orion. Orion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, People, come on. He's, okay. And so, yeah. So he said, hey, I can save $50 million a year. It's like, okay, yeah. It's, it's like your your sales analogy, right? The the chief revenue officer comes back from, uh, from I don't know, if, did you say Miami, New York? East Where, Coast. East Coast. The East Coast, Coast yeah. Enough. Hey, I found a way that we can save $50 million. You're going to get the conversation. You're going to get the meeting, right? And then the next thing was, hey, we can save $50 million over the next decade. Here's the investment. We need to build this thing that we want. And then, well, how much does that cost, right? But at least you are starting on a point of uh, of some level of, instead of saying, I need more budget, right? Mm-hmm. I need 3% more. Like for what? Yeah. I mean, I would just add one one small- Please do piece to this and that is you said about being an expert in your own in your own product you have to believe in that you have to be an evangelist of your own capabilities otherwise you shouldn't be there yourself right if you don't mm-hmm. believe in the value that you can bring i don't know that to me will come through in in any conversation right we're all very good at sniffing out sort of uh, you know the bs meter right and if you don't truly believe in the value that you can bring through your own services, then who else then, will? Then who else will, right? Because one other thing I said, like at Box, certainly um, in the last couple of years, the three most requested presenters or speakers in our executive briefing center have been our chief compliance officer, our chief information security officer, and the CIO. You know, nice, if, right? If you know, you think oh, about CIO is a good looking guy. Yeah. You know, who doesn't want <laughs> no, but you think about you know that the, the importance of risk and security and compliance and regulation and things like that. And then you think about how does this work in the real world? Tell me, CIO, how does this work in the real world? And that's you know that's the reason why. You know, the other interesting thing that I've discovered, and I've done this in places other than Okta, when when you have a product, in many cases the customers will find ways of using it that you never intended. Mm-hmm. So, so I think true. some people mm-hmm. believe that they predefine the use cases for their technology mm-hmm. and then all you have to do is go out and pound it into the, yeah, into the yeah, prospect yeah, yeah, yeah. base. Like if you're, I'm going to go off, off on a jag here, but if you're, if you're too stupid to not understand like why this is good for you, I'm going to explain why it's good for you because if you <laughs> use it this you. way, it's, you can do these things. Like that's what you want. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone to a customer and I've watched how they've used a product. This is really a pre-Octa observation. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, 
why don't we do that? Like that is a really smart thing to do. We should be using the product to try to do something like that. And so I've had many situations where sales reps, they're very differential to, I think, all of us, and they don't want to waste our time, et cetera. And so they're very apologetic about, gee, if you could, if I could just, you know, have you for a couple of days in Cincinnati, or if you'd be willing to fly out and like chat to some people as if it's a complete waste of our time in a sense, like we have more important things to do back at the corporation, but gee, if you could just help out, that would be great. And I, I found many times I go out and I, I learn so much by yeah. what the customers are doing with yeah. what we're selling yeah. that I come back and either want to institute it internally within our company itself, or I run right over to the product marketing guys and, and say, we should be talking about this use case. I mean, this is like really economically significant. Same here. Use cases are almost boundless. I don't know what I don't know in terms of the the use cases, and I learned so much from listening to to customers and how they're using the product. I mean, with all deference to our marketing colleagues, I mean, they really do kind of get on message about like how you're supposed to use the product, and they yeah. just want to like flail the you know the prospect base incessantly with like here's a benefit, here's a benefit. Why aren't you doing it the way we want you to do it? And with all again with all due respect, they're not IT professionals. They don't understand what how these tools are actually used in practice in many cases. I mean, the biggest, the biggest thing that I, that I say is if you don't really understand the business's problems, right? I mean, like you, know, you mentioned, don't just provide more problems yep. and, and try to sell solutions with new problems that people aren't even thinking about because they've got 15 other priorities. At this stage, we need to be in a position where we understand the pain points of the customer or the, of the prospect and we understand you know in depth what is needed to be able to support their initiatives right whether it's a growth initiative whether it's a cost savings initiative whatever it is like we need to understand that at a level that'll allow for a real conversation as opposed to a generic conversation around buying your product like if you sit and get the the knowledge of the prospect that you're pursuing in terms of what what are their struggles? What are the things that they're, you know, if you think about, you know, some of the initiatives that, that we deal with is is not just deploying one solution. It's an end-to-end quote-to-cash solution or quote-to-revenue solution that encompasses 10 different solutions, you know, to ultimately get to a full-based product. And the reality is, unless you really understand the overall overall initiative, you can't provide real recommendations and you can't you can't go in clearly providing a solution unless there's clarity around the overall directive. Well, I mean, that's one of those things about like, you know, consultative selling and some of these kind of ideas that they kind of get thrown around a little bit of like, man, do the damn work for me. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the thing that I always come back to is like, don't like just go do the work for like tell me what especially tell me what my peers are doing like that's one of those things where it's like everybody always wants to know like how is a similar company using your product and it's like how they're using my product is like moderately interesting but like what bullet point on their slide did you remove that they no longer have to worry about right and i think it goes back to this this idea of what we mentioned in the in the pre-show maybe someday we'll record the pre-show that a, a phrase came up a few times, GBE, good but expensive, and how there's some CIO pockets, there's people talking behind the scenes, the old word of mouth that nobody ever wants to talk about is saying, man, that product is good, but it's expensive. What are those conversations that happen behind closed doors? 
Or CIO therapy dinners. <laughs> or, or CIO therapy dinners. <laughs> well, it, it depends on how you define expensive as well, right? I mean, there's a comparative thing, right? So you think about value and, you know, the sort of traditional sort of models around investment are much more tightly tied to sort of hard ROI and TCO. And, you know, if we're going to invest a dollar, we want at least an, a, a dollar return, whether that's some cost takeout or whatever it might be. And I think that disruption today is share, showing that speed is an ROI. Yeah. Um, and productivity and efficiency and agility. And these things are very hard to to quantify from a from a financial traditional sort of ROI perspective. So when we say expensive, yeah, there's a there's a sort of, you know, there's like potentially this net new, there's cost takeout as well. It sort of maybe some of the lower end transactional use cases. But as you get into more sophisticated capabilities, it's about speed and agility and, and the give back of time. And and I think that that gets trickier. I think it's it's harder to quantify those types of investments. And that is typically where we say that's expensive is when we struggle with real sort of value. quantifiable value or ROI. You pay for what right. you get. Right? So what are those, val- what is value? Like, what is value? Uh, no, what What are some of those things that you find valuable? So I think, I think um, Paul and I have had this conversation a couple of times recently. So I think there's a nuance to this. You kind of have to separate systems of record versus system of engagement. Yeah. Systems of record are the way you are from an auditable standpoint, running the company and reporting your financial results and maybe some of the harder measures about what's going on. Systems of engagement is exactly what Paul said. So here's how I think about it. In the old days, you know, the st- our standard CIO playbook was standardization and cost savings. Like, oh my God, like we can't let, let there be anything in here that overlaps by more than 20%. And if it does, then we have to pick the best of the two and go say, I'm sorry to somebody and like take it away from them or like not let them have that or whatever. But on the system of engagement side, human capital is so important in the modern corporation. I mean, the war for talent is just out there. I think you were saying before, Ian, there's 7 million open jobs according to LinkedIn in the, in the country. I don't yeah, know how many of those are, crazy. are like tech jobs, you know. So here's how I think about it. To go to the CFO and say, gee, I could save us a million dollars or I could save us half a million dollars if we just got rid of a competitor to Slack or whatever. I mean, really at the end of the day, if you look at the labor costs in the company, they're so high. If it makes five people more productive to have a second tool that competes with Slack, have at it, you know, like mm-hmm. kind of yeah. go That's for it. That's interesting. Yeah. That's really so, interesting. So cost is like the the way- but It's all based on value. We're all conditioned to think about that. So just, I'm going to repeat what Paul said. So in my mind- Don't. <laughs> no, Paul was right for once. You know? So I'm just trying to throw him a bone here. Okay? So, so, so productivity trumps cost. Productivity trumps cost. Speed of the business trumps productivity. Yeah. And unfortunately, security trumps everything below. So yes. there may be reasons why we have to intervene and say, yeah, that's really, I understand how that helps you run like field marketing better, but you can't do that, you know, because you can't do that. And, and we get put in the policeman role. This is the thing now here, we could have a whole separate conversation about this. So, you know, the security organizations develop the policies and we become like the enforcers of the policy. Yeah, that's So they kind of like sit behind and yeah. say, well, here's what you have to, this is what we're going to claim that we're going to commit to doing as a company to stay safe. The board says, those are great policies. We really need to have those policies. Now we have to have controls that 
that actually enforce the policies that IT will go off and maintain across the company. And then we kind of show up at people's doorstep and say, you can't do that. And it's like IT, like yeah. you, can't, you can't do that. The bad guys. It's but, why I said earlier, the, the three most requested presenters, it's not because people really want to enjoy hanging out with the security and compliance folks. You know, they're, they're great at what they do, but they're not always the most exciting folks to hang out with is because if you cannot get past, if you cannot remove objection around the risk, the trust, the compliance, the regulatory, then the rest of it doesn't matter. So, you know, that's why, you know, you meet and get the, remove those objections up front and then you can get to the other value add. Shout out to all of our security and compliance friends. We love you. We're just- We do. We're just being, you know, being fair. Yeah. Being transparent. They make us better. I think it's a really interesting point. And you might win the uh, the audiogram award because that's a pretty good soundbite. Oh my gosh. Um, that you might you might get the uh, the trailer on on the Twitters because that was pretty good. There's but, your challenge Paul right there. Yeah, right. And I, and I want to go back to <laughs> the idea of how ideas are presented to you and how you present ideas to other other CIOs with regards to how other organizations are selling products. You know, this kind of vendor thing that you're talking about, which I, I agree, vendors got, could we have a more dirty word? Like yeah, vendor is it's, like, it's, it's horrific. Yeah, it's it's really, like, I, I used to say it, it's, you know, when I think of vendor, it's like someone who's got one hand in my pocket and one hand around my throat, <laughs> right? <laughs> Especially when it comes to upsell or renewal, that's a vendor, right? <laughs> okay, that one might be the uh, Oh, I know, man. <laughs> That, that, that took literally a second. You set up. You set up. That you set took the challenge. literally a second, and You're then we went. You made me. You made me think. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think of vending machine. I think of just like I'm like, oh yeah, I'm one of the candy bars in the vending machine that you know you're like it's a dollar thirty five to get a, to get a <laughs> Snickers. I think that there's an interesting idea of we all have so little time, and sales process and decision making is a huge part of that, right? It's like kind of like talent, like with hiring, it's like it's hiring is so freaking hard that it's like you have to spend a lot of time to do it right. Well, it's the same thing with selecting vendors. At times, you have this thing where there's really good companies that are really, really good at sales and marketing and have a product that maybe it's equal, maybe it's not equal, maybe it's whatever. How do you all do like vendor discovery and vendor vetting. Like, you know, I, I don't know if you're doing bake-offs, I don't know if you're doing other sorts of things, but it seems like the selection of technology for CIO is so critical and so much thought goes into it. I'm curious to to peek under the hood and, and see how you all are doing it. So again, I go back to the systems of record versus engagement. So I think, and, and think about this as like a roll of the dice, right? So systems of record tend to be more monolithic you're going to spend more money. You're probably going to live with them for a longer period of time. So you want a more formal kind of structured process. And, you know, what you don't want are your finance people calling around asking the controllers of other companies, like, which of the ERPs do you like better? I, right. I challenge that. I and mean, systems of record should not be monolithic at well, this day and age. Well, yes, but there needs to be more formal evaluation against requirements. You can't kind of go on a whim and say, you know, this is the way we're going to run financials versus this because I made three calls to whatever. A system of engagement, on the other hand, you can really use social tools to get a lot of feedback about what's working in other companies. And it's, a, in my experience, particularly recently, it's a much less formal process. And 
you can tolerate duplication of capability. So if one group wants to use Slack and another group wants to use HipChat and somebody else has bought Ring Central and they have their own kind of texting and messaging capability quip and in some kind of a department or function or team that really promotes their productivity, then for the CIO to intervene and say, nope, enterprise-wide, I have one tool, everybody will use my one tool, that's what we're gonna do. It doesn't work, I mean, it's not achievable. And, and you go back to the human capital that you're trying to maximize, why compromise the productivity of a 200-person organization to save $250,000 or or some sum of money, depending on the, on the size I, I of the I think Mark company. makes a really good point. I think we do have to, when we have these conversations, do have to separate out sort of church and state. And that is, you know, the, the, the systems that run our business processes, you know, sort of the financial systems and the HR systems and, and so on versus the systems of- That's of, the state. Of, the state. It would, we could yeah. def- you can define it each and, way you, and you decide. I'm not going to decide which one's on which side of that line, but the and versus systems of engagement. And and interestingly, systems of engagement. It's quite funny. I, I I often refer to this as sort of like the anthropology approach. You know, it's like Jane Goodall. It's like watch what's going on inside your organization. Right. You're gonna you're gonna see. When I first arrived at Box, I asked the question, "Why don't we use Slack?" And it's a rhetorical question. The real question is, is how many users do we have? Whether it's sanctioned or not sanctioned. That these are you know systems of of engagement sort of make their way into an organization in a very sort of sort of organic, organic way. And and you can you know what you can learn from that is these are the systems that the organization is naturally adopting and gravitating towards. And you don't have to then sort of go off and do the the RFP and come back and say, it's this one. You actually have the data inside your organization. Yeah. Listen to the organization. Listen to the organization. Don't be opposed to it. And here's what I found over the, over the years as well. It turns out that the choice of one is not enough. The choice of three is normally too many. And the organization naturally lands on two. When it comes to systems, to, when it comes to systems of engagement, so I'm not a math wizard, but I know that uh, <laughs> greater than one and less than three. <laughs> <laughs> we got a BS card being called here. To be <laughs> it's pink. <laughs> so, so you know, I got to jump in here. We should have a follow-on around no. <clears throat> around CIO fantasies. And, oh and man, that's fantasies. So one of my we fantasies. Go from getting fired <laughs> to <laughs> fantasies. No, no, this is this is way farther up. So you know, we all have business systems analysts. So a business system analyst usually has in-depth knowledge of a particular platform, and it could be NetSuite or Workday or Box or whatever. Yeah. And they kind of can think about how to configure those different tools to satisfy different use cases within the company. And you know, all of us participate in many conversations about what's happening in the modern IT organization and the modern corporation. And there's all these collaboration and productivity tools that kind of float around. And to uh, Paul's point about uh, the anthropologists, one of my fantasies is to hire a couple of like master or PhD anthropologists, turn them loose within the company and just study how collaboration actually takes place. And it goes to the point, like IT has no way of providing coaching or guidance about how you should use Slack or what the combination would be. I'm gonna share a, a, a story. I called Gartner, this is a couple of years ago. And so I called Gartner. I had an analyst question too, so this is funny. I'm glad you're bringing this up. And I said, okay, if there, say there's a thousand people. Okay, so say a thousand people come to work every day in Kansas City and they go to like an office park in the suburbs and they all park their cars, they go into work and they collaborate like in a standard office park. Okay, same thousand people. Now you got 500 people in Charlotte, North Carolina and 500 people in Oregon, Portland, Oregon doing the same you know, work. I mean, it's the same company or whatever. And like, how should they collaborate? 
Now say that there's like 300 people in Paris and there's like 400 people in, in San Francisco and there's 300 people in Jakarta or Hong Kong or whatever. So what would be the right combination of collaboration tools in those three different scenarios? It's the same thousand people, they have the same work to do, but it can't possibly be that the collaboration tools would be the same to get the work done. So what would you Gartner propose? <laughs> so the answer was, we have no idea how to answer that question, but if you want to know the best video conferencing tool or the best like file sharing tool or whatever, we can yep. absolutely talk yep. to you about that. But nobody really looks at how people work. They yeah, don't. Big we pro- really the don't problem. know how people work, and we're not in a position to recommend. And again, my experience has been the leader has such a huge impact. If the leader loves voicemail, everybody's voicemail. If the leader loves email, everybody's email. If the leader does Slack, everybody's Slack. Not because it's the best tool or the right tool, because the leader is most comfortable with that. So you can have like different functional groups that go off on these completely diametrically opposed tangents in terms of the tools that they use, because that's the preference of the leader of the organization. Yeah, it's very yeah. true. And you have time zones, language challenges. It, it, it That's why there is no single tool that says this is the one but it must be more scientific like to your point about jane goodall i mean if we could go study monkeys how they you know yeah, build societies we should be able to look at there absolutely is and actually and then you could end up with regional and cross-regional there's there's i actually think that studying what is going on and there's plenty of tools today that allow us to study what goes on in these covers the challenge is is you don't want to have sort of too many unsanctioned tools for too long because it creates a certain amount of risk but what you do get is you do get insights and visibility into what the organization is just naturally ad- ad- adopting and, and using. And when you then sanction, that's a great win for the CIO because you're sanctioning what the organization is already telling you they want. Just there are there are consulting groups that come in and I don't know what feeds they use, but they look at communication that happens in the company at a personal level, like who I, I email interact with and who I... And almost inevitably, the clusters of communication that happen look completely different than the org chart of the company. Yeah, that's crazy. And if you look at like the top 20 influencers in the company and you bring them up to the executive team, nobody's ever heard of these people at all. They have no idea who they are, but their influence network in the company is more pervasive than the CEO. They're socially connected. They're they're participative. It's almost like they're admired as opinion leaders. They're they're. It's like the Discovery Channel for IT or something. I don't know. So I, Jane Goodall. I'm going back Jane to my Goodall. anthropology degree after this conversation. Uh, and that's worth what you paid for it, by the way. You can keep that one. So it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, right. but, but isn't this the funny thing, right? Is like we, uh, you know, we have an IT podcast with, with three CIOs sitting in, in the studio and we're talking about anthropology, right? Like this is the state of the IT leader, right? Is like we need to figure out how humans work best together that is like a primary, primary use case for why IT is important. Like, how crazy is that? And it's not that? point solutions, right? No, not I mean, at it's all. much bigger than that. And no one's thinking about that holistically. You know, I, I actually, uh, shameless self plug, but hey. that's not really what I, what I meant it to be, but it, I'll say it anyway. I actually just wrote a, a blog um, that I titled VP of Workplace Productivity. Paul wrote a blog. I wrote a blog. Here I, we go. I found some time on some plane somewhere or stuck in some airport somewhere where I crafted this blog. But the point there, though, was that it wasn't about IT. It was about the culture of your organization, how you're, you know, even, even Mark, to your point, not just geographically how organization is, is broken up, but just the sort of demographic of the organization, you know, millennials, Gen Y, Gen Z, whatever it might be, different ways of working, 
your culture, it's open, social, collaborative nature versus sort of more more sort of traditional. And the, the, the reason I mentioned it is that what I was referring to in this this blog was that you have to bring together not only technology, but the culture of your organization, how you're demographic and how you're geographically um, laid out. And then also the facilities with which you provide. You know, work used to be this place you went to. It's much more of a state of mind today, right? So you have to bring together workplace, the culture of your organization, and then technology as well. It's like, why does one technology work at one place? Which is why I think the Gartner challenge is always, we recommend using this. It's like, well, yeah, that works at those organizations, but not at mine. And and so I think that there is sort of almost this role that emerges. Maybe that is it. It's the VP VP of Workplace Productivity or whatever it is. Collaboration. Uh, yeah, rather than Jane Goodall, it's like oh maybe it's the VP of you know anthropology, IT, anthro- IT anthropology CSA or something. Yeah, that sounds boring. I think the, the VP analysis. of IT anthropology or technology anthropology sounds better. Anthropology than- <laughs> within IT. I mean, I'm I'm here Let's for do it. it. Next time, let me know when, you, when you're when you writing the blog post, man. We'll link it up in IT Visionaries communities. All right. We'll get it out there. It's on LinkedIn. Take a look. All right. Yeah, we'll find it on LinkedIn. <laughs> Our producer will, will run it down. We'll put it in the show notes. So, you know, it, it's funny that you say that. I was talking to a, a company, big Silicon Valley company, one of the unicorn pre-IPO companies. It was like employee, like whatever, 45 or something like that. And he has very strange role. It's like nothing you would ever think is is somebody that, you know, would be like, and he's not a C-level executive, nothing like that. And I was talking to somebody who is a is a C-level of this company and they're, they're saying they're like, when he talks at a meeting, like everybody shuts up and listens. You know, he's like senior director of, of a very specific niche. And it's like a mix of that kind of longevity, but also just like understanding, like doesn't talk a lot, but when he does. And I think it goes to that kind of like workplace performance thing where if you have people in your organization that needs to be empowered with that sort of stuff. Like if he wants to choose a, a specific system for communication that he wants on his team, like let that guy have it, right? Like we don't need to sit there and like fight tooth and nail about why you need to be using whatever it is. Do you find that the internal like, you know, politics of being a CIO is such that you need to make sure that those people are satiated in some way, that they're getting attention in some way, that they're getting the things that they need? Or is it kind of this decentralized kind of nature where it's like, you just want people to be productive? I don't know. I mean, the word politics makes me cringe. So nobody has time for politics. Not at, not, not, not at our growth and scale, that's for sure. And 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 I actually don't think that at any position within within the organization, I feel like politics just just ultimately slows down the company. Seriously. We got two, we got two, two BSs. BSs. Two BSs called so on Who you. has time for politics? No, but here's the problem. I mean, anytime two human beings come together to try to do something, their politics, and we could all reflect on our marriages, but that would be another <laughs> conversation <laughs> separately. But uh, and I, I My marriage is not political at all. Uh, no, you're always wow. right and your husband's always <laughs> no. right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm serious. I'm, you know, there's, it's just the level of politics and the sh- the alignment around shared objectives, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But there's always, I mean, we spend so much of our time in CIO jobs just socializing information. It's not a technical job. It is a political job. Some, uh, well, not in my current role, but I had a job several 
years ago, I felt like I was Henry Kissinger during the Arab-Israeli, <laughs> you know, like I would, I would just try to like talk Topical to, reference I mean, for our I, listeners. I would try to like, I would try to like go around to different C-level executives and just get them to agree on this IT modernization project. Yeah. And they were like, they had, we had PNLs in different geographies. So there was like the head of the Asia Pac operation, the head of EMEA and the head of North America and the head of Canada and whatever. And I needed money from all of them. And I was like on this, I stopped doing any technical work whatsoever. All I did was fly around to the heads of the different PL groups and understand why they didn't like the ideas that we were proposing and what I, how I had to modify my plan to keep them happy, you know, et cetera. So, I mean, that was a big organization that was different than the one I, I'm involved in now. But no, I think you get two people together, there's, there's politics. There's no apolitical organization. Yeah, I, I think I'd add that the thing that we have to be careful of is the sort of the notion of squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? And yeah, totally. you do have you do it's have people point. in an organization that are constant sort of complainers about the same thing over and over again. And if you're not careful, you end up spending too much of your time or think too much of your your, your time on on sort of minority versus majority. You know, I've seen it where someone will say, like, I think the the conference room experience sucks i'm making this up right you know we often you often hear me you're say, not making that up that happens you often think that you know often think that the cio the c and cio stands for conference rooms anyway we get enough noise <laughs> out of that stuff right that's but, good but what i find is is that um if you <laughs> look at true. the data it's true like, if you look at the data right you know and i look at the you know we look at this from an operational metric perspective just data that shows that you know on, a, on an average basis we have Three million minutes per month of of conference room usage across the company in terms of how much is going on, and then the only thing you hear are these sort of three squeaky complaints. It's like, you know, it makes me feel like okay, if that's all we're getting, versus let's not over rotate and go figure out how we spend a tremendous amount of time solving the problem for 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 three people that had some bad experience. You know, I often get this, oh, the quality of service on this particular thing was terrible. And you look underneath the covers and you're like, well, yeah, that's because at the time of this meeting, you were in your car in a tunnel on a 3G network and yeah, you're going to get poor QoS. I, you know, you have to, you, there's a lot of things you can use data for today. We get a lot of forensics and data that allow us to make sure that we're not, you know, catering for the, for a minority versus, versus the majority. You know, I went through, a, uh, Paul has a great um, phrase that he uses, which is, to be a successful IT executive, you have to become comfortable at being uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh, that is so true. So I, I went through a reorganization once where I had a new, new reporting relationship to another C-level executive. And the first, first question was, so who's, do you, do you have a happy customer? Like, is there somebody I can go talk to who's just like elated at IT and like you're satisfying all their needs and they're like totally Everyone, happy? Everyone, Mark. So I said, well, there's nobody like that. That, that, that doesn't people can always <laughs> find problems with what they're not getting yeah. it could be their administrative assistant who is having a calendaring problem you um, know all the way to there could be people that are suffering from you know much more severe password well but not the password lockout is a huge problem but i mean there's all kinds of noise that comes through the system all the time and if you take all that personally and you think you are personally responsible for keeping the 10,000 people happy or the 1,500 people happy, you don't want this job. I mean, this is not the job for you whatsoever. Yep. You'll be in a fetal position sucking your thumb <laughs> in, in, in the corner. <laughs> All right. Do you, I, I get a game if you guys want to play a game. A game? Yeah. You guys want to play a game? 
Are you getting two podcasts out of this? Like you're going to milk this? Oh, yeah. You ready? No. Or, okay. So, so each person, so you have a buzzer that you just have to say the word Is ding. Is this the buzzer? No, you just say ding. Ding. Like ding, whatever. So, I'm going to I'm gonna read a table. quote. I'm going to read a quote. And it's going to be one from one of the three of you that you've actually said. Oh, God. Oh, shit. And so, when you ding in. Oh, my God. This is so easy. Uh, when, you, when you ding in, you have to say who the person <laughs> it is who said the quote. But, but you can't ding in on yourself. Right? Yeah, so, otherwise. Crazy. Yeah. So, and then you, you get a point for each hey, one that you get right. What are you doing on that laptop? Hey, don't worry about it. Are we ready? <laughs> so yes. No, there's no slamming. There's, there's no, no, no slamming. It's a ding. Okay. It's a ding verbally. Oh, okay. Verbally. All right. Are we ready? We're ready. Innovation should be a team sport. The whole management team should know what all the balls are that we are juggling, that we are moving from stage to stage. Did someone say that today? The rules. Is that today's podcast? No, no. These are, these are previous quotes. That one of us three said in a previous. That one of you, one of you have said this. Or I have quote never that's said a, that. That's a Mark Settle. That's a Mark. That's Settle. correct. Oh, that's that's nice correct. job. Yeah, Innovation is a team sport. I I agree. It's a great quote. You don't, it's a great quote. Yeah, you don't send like are, are two we, people in E eight off to figure out what's going to happen. No. In the yeah, but yeah. all we're talking about is collaboration and and productivity. We're on talking about innovation. But that was great. That was a great quote. Yeah. Okay. You gotta, All right. You read the book. Like, uh, Number two. Okay. You gotta read the book. The guy's an author. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, trust me. I read the book. <clears throat> All right. My whole team's read the book. Well, that was the test. I mean, you know, you yeah. can't let us. You have to reread. <laughs> okay. Uh, ready. Number two. Every CEO of a thriving company should be ensuring that they have the right technology expertise in-house to ensure that they're able to meet their growth strategies. That's an Alvina comment. That is correct. <laughs> two points. Man, Paul, that's wrong. That's two that's points. Right. I had to think about I that. Know my, I know my strategies. friends and family. Yes. That's what we should be talking about. Expertise in-house. I like it though. That's a good That's good yeah. stuff. Okay. Number four. You ready? Number three. You're only on two. Oh, sorry. Three. Number three. Sorry. Number three. I was getting ahead of myself. Getting ahead of myself. Number three. Two for And zero. we're drinking. He, oh, he's Jeez. Okay. Number three. The CIO leader needs to be a visionary, just as much as the product leader needs to be a visionary and the marketing leader needs to be a visionary. Technology requires vision. Ding, Paul. It was Elvina. Oh, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was Take not that me. from me. Negative one point. This is like, <laughs> it's like, it's like around the horns. Yeah, you get negative. It it's like around the It wasn't cheesy enough to be me. It wasn't cheesy <laughs> enough. <laughs> <laughs> Two high okay. fives. Ready, next one. Wait a minute, where's that quote from? Where'd you say that? I have no idea. Okay, said, I think you said it, I think you probably said it on uh, on IT Visionary's I podcast. Don't know, oh, well, okay, well, that's shout fair. Out to us too well. shout, shout out to Hillary for the great, great prep on this. And Aaron, both of our producers. Next one. Today's employees' productivity depends on technology seamlessly empowering their changing workplace environment. And it's critical to remove friction, not only to attract and motivate staff, but also retain them. Ding! <laughs> we had two fingers pointing at Paul. That's correct. I'll give <laughs> two, you. I'll two give fingers you, pointing you, at Paul. That's I'll give you both a point. <laughs> Mr. Paul Chapman. <laughs> that was it. That's the that's that's the game. And that's it. Oh, well, I won. <laughs> yeah, two points. It's all one about the winning. It's not the taking part. It's about the winning. 
Exactly. You want, I mean, I could try to find more. So I'm at minus one, and what do they get? Like, no, no, you're, you're back. You're even. He, he got Paul two. one, yeah. Paul two. one. And for that, you get an extra. Yeah, well, it send you, you away back. with that. No, as right, a we're not going to come back. I got to grab a Newcastle brown ale before I step out. Nice. So should we do some lightning round? Oh, okay. And this thing? All right. We've already asked you all the lightning round questions, all three. But ooh, actually, here's a little trivia for the two gents. Alvina, you have to abstain. Uh, you could, you could, you can fire in. Alvina was one of the first guests of IT Visionary. What guest number was she? Three. I was going to go with three. Five. Number two. Two. Yeah. Mark was episode 16 and Paul was 21. Okay. So, lightning round. So, question for you. What's better, one-on-one -on -one or having the three of us? Oh, this is great. I mean, I, yeah, we, we just do this. Uh, Every two know. weeks. Yeah, every two. Yeah, I was just going to say. After definitely. I found out I was 21 and Elvina was three, I'm not showing up again. I'm sorry. That was not a motivating uh, number for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, lighting round. You've already had the first batch of lighting rounds. So, these are going to be different. What is... And we'll just go around the horn. We'll start with uh, with the person who got last place, zero points. Uh, negative Mark, one. Negative. What do you Mark mean? was negative. Negative one. No, he came back to... Because he, you both pointed at oh, the same right, time. So, I'm giving right, you credit for right. the points, even Thank though you. nobody said... <laughs> nobody used their, their buzzer. Nobody said ding. So, what is your favorite fake bit of technology from like a movie, a book, TV show that you wish was real? Teleportation, right? Like where you stand someplace and like you get taken to some place that's like 9,000. Because there are restaurants in New York that I would love to go to during the week, but I just can't get there. Like in the Elon's night. working on it. Fake bit of tech. I feel better Alvina. about that. Well, I'm actually, not I don't feel better about that. <laughs> Fake bit of tech? Yeah, that you wish was real. Can I pass to Paul? You can pass. Well, actually, I was actually thinking of, you know, the, the fly and the teletransportation. and But then you're right that the Hyperloop and what the what the promise of is happening there. The fly and the telly. Wait, what? No, you remember the movie, The Fly, the teletransportation? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I was thinking, you know, that would be, you know, you said I'm movie. Like, you I'm said movie. like Star Trek and stuff. Yeah, yeah you, you just, said, you yeah, beam me up, in, Scotty, me, sort of. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. always the beam me, the beam me up I thought one, you were going with of, like, uh, I thought you were saying like British, like the telly. No, 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 no. Teleporter. Tele no, not that as in the television. Yes. Television. Um, uh, yeah, this is a this is a tricky one because there's so many things. I'm just trying to think back over all the the different movie uh, the movie things. But um, you know, I think the the one where you get the the chip that's implanted in the stem and you end up sort of having like uh, what they call it uh, um, like instant Google. Oh, um, in sort of implanted, so your your access to knowledge is like instant. That seems like I, I feel like that would be good, and then I realized no, that would not be good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so it's too black mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think many of our teenage children, if they could have a chip somewhere like implanted in their skull where they could like telepathically communicate with their friends, they would line up at the mall and just have that. Just yeah, I want to do the reverse. Can we have the reverse? Like, can we like figure out a future where we have? We have that we don't have our phones, and we what you know, tech we start, can we, we remove? Think, what can, can we remove? It's like the I want to be on the the island the the beach at the island with no tech how's that yeah i mean it's, yeah i mean mine is more real as i thought about it it's more you know we deal with so many SaaS solutions i wish i could just make them all talk to each other oh they yeah, all, yeah they all have different languages they all have different that wasn't in a movie though 
It wasn't an. That movie. would be a boring movie. We it have would, a movie about uh, high tech SaaS solutions talking to each other. Like it a would be, do it. It would be magical. You guys pay for it. We'll I, write I'd it. For we'll it. write the script. You know, there is a there is a conversation here somewhere, maybe in the future, about how technology disintermediates human interaction. So even my own family, I have kids that are in the late twenties. When they come home at Christmas, we can sit in front of the TV and everybody's on at least two different devices. Oh, yeah. Additional in addition to the TV being on. This is like our like once a year family like like reunion or whatever. And I'm always reminded of a, a good friend I have who has a, a ski place in Taos. And so he tells a story like he goes up there and it's not uncommon for a big storm to come in in which they'll lose all power. The batteries will go off on the laptops and the phones and everything else. And so when this happens, they actually pull out like board games and they actually start talking to each other and interacting as a family unit. And so I told his name is Ian as well. I said, well, what happens? Like when the power comes back, he says, oh, it only takes about like an hour and we're all back to like being our, our own closed electronic yeah. worlds. It's like I, the, the it, matrix, you know? It's, you know? it's, it's interesting. Uh, I actually, the environment is very indicative of, of the behavior because we had a cabin up in the Sierra mountains for, for 10 plus years. And when the kids were, were younger, we used to go up there pretty almost every weekend. And their persona completely changed. It was family time, jigsaw puzzles, helping to helping out in the kitchen, because we didn't have internet there. We didn't have connectivity on cellular phone, and it wasn't like it was like this crazy withdrawal thing. It was just they changed their persona, and it was actually very refreshing. I think the environment is indicative of the of the behavior in this situation. I, I got a this is a request for product. I figured it out. You ready? So there's a device, we'll call it like, um, I don't know, tentatively titled mommy and daddy uh, Wi-Fi killer. So it's a thing that you put in your pocket or you have on your phone and it's like a you know, 100 yard perimeter that cuts Wi-Fi, but like you pretend like, well, we're just in the mountains. Like we just must not get Wi-Fi, I don't know. And so it's like, everybody thinks that there's no Wi-Fi, but in reality, you're just like killing it all. You're killing like all the LTE, and oh, so it's like you're time. pretending like it's you're pretending like it's like we must just be so remote. I don't know. And then they're like, "Well, in town we get it," and then they're probably gonna like go in town and sneak off to the bathroom and like so text what, their friends. One of my product fantasies was when my I have a daughter who who's in her late twenties now, but when she was in high school, she was twenty four by seven on her cell phone. Like any friend could call, anybody could call her for therapy or empathy. Empathy is a better word. Like if they had to vent about their parents or their boyfriend or their best friend that had done She's something. the good listener. She was the good listener. Okay. Great American. And I, and I also, at the time I thought, I actually would pay Verizon more to turn off the phone. <laughs> I would pay for a suspension of service. So I'm buying service now. I would pay a premium for suspension of service between like 10 p.m. and maybe 6 a.m. They would gladly accept your money. I'm right. Sure. Like, like, well, pay, I, I, At least during dinner time. So I mean, that's the place. So that's Verizon can just do it. Right. They can just suspension of. It's like when you go abroad. You're like, oh, I'm traveling abroad. It's like, hey, I'm going to the mountains. Cut, cut but the if, family plan. But if you, but if you're not experienced this of late, so if I book a, a a book a dinner reservation on Open Table, okay, and it puts the the appointment in your calendar. And when you when you sit down for dinner, I actually I don't know if it's which iOS version it sort of figured this out. It actually says, "Do you want to put your you know you have the um, 
it's like the sleep time where it's like okay between yeah, yeah. the hours of 11 and 6 only the people in your vip list can contact you otherwise everything else goes to to voicemail or whatever so that happens now it says do you want me to basically turn your phone into uh do not disturb do not disturb yeah, that's right do not disturb yeah. do not disturb 7 till 8 30 p.m and you say yes, and your phone goes into us. Do not so because we can't control ourselves, <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> and because we have no, no diligence yeah. around, you know, what quality time is with family, yeah. we're asking for the for my, the, my for digital the assistant. I'm just asking the great CIO in the sky to answer my problems. No, my That's digital assistant will tell me, Force would, me. Do you want me to? This is digital assistance, right? Paul, are we just whinging? Like, what's going no. on? <laughs> I was at a meeting where a speaker, it was a, a symposium kind of thing. It was the morning keynoter said, how many people looked at their cell phone before they left uh, the house today? So, of course, 100%, right? This is like an IT meeting. And he said, how many people kissed their spouse before they left the house? Three <laughs> percent of the people in the audience, like, you know, have that's like sad. any Not like great. physical that's contact sad. with their spouse, like their thing. But that's the way we are. And a follow-on story is... Not me, by the way. Yeah, I'm 100 percent on both. <laughs> Becky's the listening order, right now. I can't now, guarantee, so. but the 100 percent on both. You. Good for you. So my master's advisor, when I was in school, <laughs> he told us he went to William and Mary down in down in Virginia, and before he'd go to sleep in the dorm, he was a smoker, and he would take a cigarette out and leave it horizontal on the night table next to the bed, so that in the morning when he rolled over, he could light the cigarette before he had to sit up. So horizontally, first thing in the morning lit a cigarette that was the way he started his day and when we when he told us this we thought oh my god like this that's like a neanderthal thing like how could you possibly and that's an addictive like how how many people like lay there the cell phones there and they like pull they actually the first thing you're doing in the morning is like looking at the messages that harvard actually has an hbr book it's called sleeping with your cell phone it actually they've written a book on this yeah yeah the uh i think it was uh near i all wrote the book hooked and that was one of the things and he gave a really good talk about it where he was like they have basically like wi-fi shuts off at 10 p.m every night in his house and he's like like have to do it. and then so the other thing is like putting your putting your cell phone in the other room i mean i, I like i have to put it like out of sight otherwise because like the sight of it triggers you right like if you put your, your like work laptop it's like you probably are all triggered by the fact that i have my laptop up while we're working or while we're we're not working we're not working yeah, it is. I mean, it re- literally is distracting when someone is on their phone, even if they're taking notes for like a good cause, it's super distracting because you're like, but what are they doing? What are they really doing? Are they on something else? So, yeah, it's a stuff. We, we can have a whole topic on that. I'm going to tell, tell a personal stories. This is a dis- discussion with my wife. Okay. So, like, we're going to go deep dive here. So, <laughs> I've been in the car with her. And one time I commented, I said, you know, it's really amazing to me how you can take a call in the car and suddenly like, you transform into a completely different person. Like we can be sitting there in stone silence or have had a minor disagreement or whatever and suddenly somebody calls and you're like the most hospitable, loquacious person, you know, like it's just uh, the good times are rolling, you know, on this call. And, like, so it's just amazing to me how you can like switch. She said, you should look at yourself reading email. Your facial expressions when you sit at the kitchen table and you look at email change dynamically from one email to another you are like 10 different personalities as you read the email and so i shut up after that and i stopped talking because i did i suspected that she was probably right i mean it's it's we're so close to the matrix that it's not even funny i mean we are really right on the verge of that 
I mean, for me, who has three young children, I mean, my uh, my twin boys are nine and my daughter is six. You know, I, I could be present or think that I'm present physically, but I'm on my phone. Yep. And and they're longing for true presence. They're longing for attention. And so that's something that, you know, you have to walk away from. You have to be able to to truly focus on being present at the time that you're with your children. And imagine how that translates into authenticity in the workplace. I mean, it's easy to talk about, you know, families and we all have families to deal with, but that's what all our direct reports are looking for when they come in and have a two minute conversation, a one hour conversation or a two hour review within a big room of people. They just want us to be present with them and present. Yeah, it's like being being on time and all that sort of stuff where you're just like, you can say, you can make an excuse of like, hey, I was was with a customer, customers come first, but you're like, yeah, but you're still five minutes late. Right, respect the time. Yeah. That's it. How do we do, everyone? I have to do it again because it's like you know, we barely scratched the surface. We, we barely scratched the surface. We're gonna have to have CIO roundtable number three come into a come into a podcast near <laughs> you. <laughs> Thanks everyone for hanging out. This is great. Thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, if you have any questions for our uh, CIO roundtable, just uh, tweet at the Mission HQ, and we'll make sure we get it to them. Thanks again. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps.